With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come again, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time you've given me with my sister, that you've given us yet another day to partake in your word, and Lord, to be involved in what you're having appetite for. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you continue to carry us through, that in spite of sickness within the ministry, and in spite of attacks, in spite of all these other things, whether there be health problems, marital problems, child problems, or whatever the situation is, Lord, we thank you for giving us the strength as long as we have breath in our lungs, that we may continue your work. And I'm asking, Lord, that you may add to it, Lord, for we don't want our load to be light. We want to endure the cross as you have, Lord, and all that you said to do, that if we live a life of self-denial, that you will make sure, Lord, that we inherit eternal life and that we would become true disciples of yours. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, I bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is not of you, Lord Jesus, every Antichrist spirit, every Jezebel spirit, every spirit of perversion, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you take it down and wipe it out. And I'm asking, Lord, that it has no place here, but let us have a strong presence of the Holy Ghost tonight. For tonight's message is one of importance and the hope that other people may understand, that they might be edified, Lord, to receiving your truth, that they may grow, Lord, from bound to bound, faith to faith, glory to glory. And I pray, Lord, that this message gets out to all those who would want to hear your truth who want true understanding of what your word says. And I pray that no flesh be glorified tonight. I pray that no man's heart be involved in tonight's study, but only that of yours, Lord, which is the Holy Ghost, that he may bring us into all truth and righteousness. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, you are just, and you are true. And you are worthy of all praises. And we just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for being an awesome God. Thank you for not giving up on us, Lord, when everyone else did. Thank you, Lord, for not holding our little sins against us, Lord, for they are big in your eyes. But, Lord, you said if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we truly be sanctified, Lord, having Jesus Christ, your Son, living in us, dictating what we do, being led of the Spirit, that one day we may manifest that true power and that glory that only you, Jesus Christ, yourself can hold. We just thank you, Lord, and we just pray that you do these things for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So tonight's study is going to be called Spiritual Blindness. 
spiritual blindness, which is something that the Bible talks a lot about. And I think for us to truly have understanding of this, you know, um, there are three different levels that I've picked up that the Bible says, you know, one is, of course, um, physical blindness, which we um, which Jesus did a lot of curing and he healed. And then there was blindness of the heart that we're going to tackle tonight, too, as well as mental blindness. So we have to understand that these are three things that we're going to be tackling tonight. Um, I'm not, I don't think we're going to focus too much on physical blindness because we know that Jesus Christ, you know, he has the power to heal these things. But, you know, I often wondered what keeps people from actually obeying the Lord and doing what he says to do and following him. And we recognize that most of this has to do with, you know, the, the uh, you know, the blindness that people go through, how people can have their eyes wide open, how they can read things in the Bible. And it just seems like for the unbeliever out there, as well as the so-called Christian that is religious, it's just so funny how you can tell them all the truth. You can show them scripture upon scripture. And for whatever reasons, people just won't receive it, you know? And you would have to imagine there's something more than just their opinion at work, you would have to know that there is a type of blindness that a person might be going through. So we're going to cover that and a lot more in this study. And again, I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And also we have an upcoming conference next week at the Troutdale House Wedding Venue for all those who live in Portland, Oregon, or, you know, those who are in the Oregon area or Vancouver, Washington, or anyone in that area. You know, you're more than welcome to join us. We're going to have food. We're going to have praise. We're going to hear some good music, but we're also going to get a heavy dose of the word of God. So I hope to see you there. I hope that um, I can fellowship with new brothers and sisters. But as for right now, we're going to tackle this, this uh, subject of spiritual blindness. So right now I want to get started in Psalm 146. You know, I always like to get started with a psalm to give the Lord his glory. And uh, this is going to have a lot to do with what we're going to tackle tonight. So this is Psalm 146, and we'll begin at verse 1. And it says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have um, any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, uh, in whom there is no help. So understand when it says the Son of Man, it means the Son of Men because it's a lowercase s on the Son. But it's saying don't trust in princes, which are like ruling, governing bodies. But what uh, they're talking about here is praising the Lord. Okay, so I think that in many cases, this would also have a lot to do with spiritual blindness because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, so we'll continue reading in verse 4, 146. This is Psalm 146 and verse 4. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So we understand here when it talks about his breath goeth forth, he returneth to the to his earth. 
and that very day his thoughts perish. The Bible is telling us in many cases, like we've read before, and I believe it's Jeremiah 17 and 5, when the Bible says, Cursed, in the, cursed is the man that trusteth in man that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So we understand that for anyone that is involved in what you would say here in verse 3, humanism, trusting in princes, trusting in man, those things cannot sustain you. So he's saying when your breath goeth forth, when you have breathed your last breath, and it says, and you return to your earth, which, would, which man is made of the dust from the earth, he says, and in his very thoughts they perish. So we understand that we want to be in good standing with God, trusting in him and nobody else. So then it says in verse 7, well, I think it's verse 6, uh, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. So this is who we want to trust in is our God. Going back to verse 5, it says, happy is he, happy is that man that have the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So we are to hope in him. Now going down to verse 7, it says, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. Uh, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. So as we know, when they're talking about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, we know that many of these things have much to do with Jesus Christ. But first he begins in not putting your trust in man, only putting your trust in God. And then it tells us the things that, the God, that our God does. In verse 7 it says, he executed judgment for the oppressed. So he's always looking out for those who are without or under attack which giveth food to the hungry. So you see, he's a very sustaining God. That food can be physical and it can be spiritual. And then it says, uh, he, uh, the Lord looseth the prisoners. So he sets the captives free. That also can be physical and it can be spiritual. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. That also is physical and spiritual. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down and the Lord loveth the righteous. So we know without going any further, although we will, this is Jesus Christ himself. This is why he came, and I'm going to prove this, but let's just finish. The Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. So we've got to understand that when people are wicked, that their perspective is different from the God of the Bible. As we read in the first few uh, verses, it talks about how our God would sustain those who were oppressed. He would take care of the hungry. He would um, judge righteously the things that needed to be judged. And he would restore sight to the blind for those who cannot see. And then it says, um, the Lord preserveth the stranger, relieveth the fatherless and the widow. So that's why when you go to Psalm 27, when it says, when my mother and my father forsaken me, then the Lord will take me up. So you know that our God is much more than God. He's been a dad to us. He's a, he's a true Messiah. He's a healer. And, and he is a sustainer. He takes care of his own. But those who are wicked, they turn upside down. Their perspective is so far from the Lord that they need to get back on track. Verse 10. 
The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. So who wouldn't want to be in line with a God like this who could sustain you in every possible way? Psalm 146 talks about how God will take care of those who, whose trust are in him. And it seems like from what we read, he completes the whole spectrum. All right, so from here, let's go to Luke 4, and we're going to begin at verse 1, and then we're going to tackle this mental and this spiritual blindness that is all over the world. Man, none are so blind as they who won't see. Isn't it amazing how, you know, what was that movie uh, Tom Cruise, I think, had back in the day with, uh, what's his name, his, his uh, ex-wife, Nicole Kidman, when it was called Eyes Wide Shut. You know, that sounds like a study, a uh, good one for a, another study. Uh, your eyes can be wide open and they can be shut until the Lord reveals these things unto us. So this is Luke 4, and we'll begin at verse 1, and it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit to, into the wilderness. So you know from reading the last chapter, Jesus got in the water to um, actually be baptized, meaning turning away from the world and giving everything over to the Father. The Bible says that while Jesus was in that Jordan River being baptized of John the Baptist, that there was an, um, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, descended upon him like a dove. And then God the Father spoke at that same time and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So now Jesus, now he's full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, this is verse 2. Uh, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when uh, they were ended, afterward he hungered. So Jesus went into the wilderness for forty days to crucify the flesh, that way his spirit man could become stronger. So we get an early sense that your flesh can have a lot to do with your blindness. Okay, so let's go to verse um, 3. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. So the devil went to Jesus and tried to get Jesus to sustain his flesh and, you know, in an attempt to try and stop him from going forward and obeying the Father. This is verse 4. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So we understand that if Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Ghost, then it was the Holy Ghost that Jesus was obeying when it says by every word of God. So we understand that as he was led by the rhema, he also said it is written because the rhema and the logos, which is the written word, go together. But this is who Jesus was obeying, not his own physical carnal flesh. But the devil taking him up into the high mountain, shewed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, that word is authority, in the Greek the word exousia for power, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and it and, and to whomsoever I will give it, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So the devil is offering him all the things of the world so far. When you look at how he offered Jesus bread, 
he offered Jesus the lust of the flesh. Now he took him to this high place, took him and showed him all the things of Jesus will bow down and worship. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So what did he offer Jesus there? The lust of the eyes. Okay, because, you know, one thing about our eyes, when Jesus talks about how if the light in them is not light, you know, and if the light that is in the eye be darkness, then that darkness is great. Saying that if we are blinded by the things of the world, then we cannot hear the voice of God. We could be distracted from the things that the Lord wants and what we want. And that's what we intend to tackle tonight. We're going to tackle mental blindness. We're going to tackle worldly blindness. And we're going to tackle spiritual blindness. Verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So we understand here that the devil himself was quoting scripture. He was quoting Psalm 91 to try and come at Jesus, said, okay, well, since you want to quote scripture, I'm going to quote scripture. Let's see if you can disobey the Father by scripture. And verse 12 says, And Jesus answering uh, said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So just because you can do a thing doesn't mean that you should do a thing. We have to be led by the Spirit in all affairs. So this last thing that Satan came at Jesus with was the pride of life. He kept telling him, If you be the Son of God, why don't you do this? And then he says, Well, if you really are, then the Bible makes clear that the angels of heaven will, will catch you. But see, what Jesus understood is that if he obeyed that, that he would be obeying the devil and not the Lord. So it is important that we understand that he needed to be obedient unto the Father in order for his perfect will to be done in him. All right, so it says in verse 13, and when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So it doesn't mean that the devil left him alone for the rest of his life. The devil departed from him and left him alone. So, what's that? Okay. So, you know, that's the whole point that the enemy was doing and the Lord straightened it out. Okay. The Lord, Jesus stayed obedient to the Father and the Father took care of him. So it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the regions round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, we're going to cover this, too, because Jesus is here on the Sabbath day because that was his custom. It is not because he worshiped the Sabbath. I'm going to prove this, but this can have a lot to do with spiritual blindness, which is why if you show people that all they need to do is follow the Lord and do what he says, people will try and bring you back to the Mosaic law. This is another part of spiritual blindness that we intend to cover tonight. But this is not why Jesus was here. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, 
he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So as you can see, we got a parallel with Psalm 146 when it says the Lord in all caps, all bold print. And then it says that Jesus came for this very reason. So we know that Psalm 146 was speaking of Jesus Christ because everything that he said that would happen in Isaiah 61, I believe that's where it is. And then it talks about, um, you know, restoring sight to the blind. We know that we have a parallel here. This is Jesus Christ. And he closed the book and he gave uh, it again to the minister and sat down in the eyes of them all in the synagogue were fastened on him. So what a bold claim for Jesus to come in and say, hey, this day scripture has been fulfilled and everybody's staring at Jesus in the synagogue, which is like a church. Verse 21. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled uh, in your ears and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whosoever or whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. And you know, you would have to imagine why Jesus said this is because the people were carnally minded. He said he came back because it's where he grew up. And then right away when he makes a bold claim to say that he's fulfilling scripture and he came in the power of the spirit to do the will of his father, you see how they revert back to, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Because people can't tend to put the spiritual with the carnal. All right. So anyways, uh, we go further and he says in verse 24, and he said, verily, I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, which is Elijah, uh, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine and throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save um, unto Sarepta, the city of Sidon, uh, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of um, Elisus, which is Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. So it makes clear that when God goes to do his work, there are very few people that believe. Even with signs and wonders following in their own country, it just seems like nothing can be done because people don't believe. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these words, were filled with wrath. So you have to ask yourself, these people are so angry, but what did Jesus say that wasn't good? What did he say that they could not grasp? So these guys are full of wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. So as we can understand here, 
They tried to kill Jesus, carried him out of the city, wanted to throw him on his head because these people are religious and there's no other reason than that. We're going to even cover why they could not see that what he was saying was true. So then it says in verse 31, and he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine of, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue, there was a man with uh, which had an unclean, I mean, a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Uh, thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, uh, who thou art, the Holy One of God. So, you know, you can tell that these people, even in Capernaum, was spiritually blind. He went into a synagogue and there was devils right there in the church. And this is what we intend to cover tonight, too, because everybody thinks that everybody who sings and praises and does all this stuff, that God has got to be in there. But you can tell when someone walks in in full power of the Spirit, there will be manifestation of demons. And this is happening right there in the church. But none of them can see it. But because Jesus is there, these things are manifesting. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil was, I mean, had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirit, um, and they came out. So as you can see, when Jesus went to Capernaum, all was well. None of them knew him, but they believed in the power of Jesus Christ. But you can tell back in his own country, the people were blind because they were carnal, and they would not receive the truth. Let's go to Mark 7. And then from there, we are going to go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Mark chapter 7, we're going to go to. just want to look at this point real quick. All right. So Mark 7, all right. Now you remember early in this passage... Um, the people of uh, Jesus Christ, his disciples came in. They didn't wash their hands before they ate. And the Pharisees jumped in right away. Well, we wash our hands according to Moses' law. So you guys are unclean and we're clean. So look at verse 6. Jesus said, and he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups, and many such like things ye do. So right away you understand that Jesus is on their case because these are the religious people. They care about how they look on the outside, but they will not allow their hearts and their minds to be fixed that they might be clean through and through. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye, that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say it is Corban, I mean, a man shall say to his father or mother, 
it is Corbin, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever uh, thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of, of God of none effect. Through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. And when um, he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entereth into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. So as we can understand right now, what Jesus is saying is, in terms of tradition, this is what you would call religious. Hey guys, this is what you would call religious blindness. This is the kind of blindness that needs to be restored because we can get so sewn up in religion that we won't believe the words of Jesus Christ, even if we heard them. And that's why you can go and preach to people about the Sabbath days and talk to them about all this stuff that we're not supposed to be into because Jesus Christ is who we, who, he is our Sabbath that we would worship. So you see, but people will look at this and just say, oh no, you know, we've got to keep blah, 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 blah in order to be of Christ. So you see, this is another kind of blindness. Now look at verse 19. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, uh, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. For from within, uh, out, of the, out of the heart of men, proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornic fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, which is greed, and an evil eye. You see that? So if your eye is evil, it can also add to blindness. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within uh, and defile the man. So Jesus was talking about these people not being able to see because they were blind. So it is important that we get beyond this, that we might have some understanding. Because you truly can't see unless the Lord delivers you from it. So let's go to Isaiah 6. I know I said go to 2 Corinthians 4, but I want to go to Isaiah 6, and we're going to start at verse 1. Hey, little man. You see, that spiritual blindness is a real problem for people. This is why you can tell Catholics that you, there's no one that you worship but Jesus Christ, and they will throw Mary in the midst. No such thing as a pope in this Bible, but they will go after it, like, a, like you know, attack it like a mad dog. You can tell the Mormons, there's no such thing as a book of Mormons, man. All we need is the scriptures of Jesus Christ, and they will fight you because this is spiritual blindness because of people's traditions, the things that they want. So we'll start at Isaiah 6, and we'll begin at verse 1, and it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So what is a train? A train is pretty much like what women would have in their dresses or like the end of your robe, you know, that part that carries out when people get married. You know, they'll have that long train that's connected to their dresses. Not to say the Lord was wearing a dress because he wasn't, but this is in his robe. He has a long train. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings with twain. He covereth his face and with twain. He covered his feet and with twain. He did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when we understand this, when you look at Isaiah, whom the Lord had chose, remember in, in uh, chapters 1 through 5, he showed him a wicked society that he wanted Isaiah to go and talk to. But Isaiah here is given a vision of the Lord, and he said, man, woe is me, like my God, how filthy am I, and how clean are you? So that's one of the, the first things that we can actually start with, with having spiritual scales taken off of our eyes is when the Holy Ghost comes to redeem us and to set us free, he shows us how dirty we are and he shows us how clean God is, giving us the appetite to want to pursue the Lord and, and be sanctified. So he says, and um, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand. Uh, which uh, he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. So we understand that this angel put a live coal to his mouth in the spirit that sanctified his mouth that Isaiah could speak, because Isaiah wasn't going to do it aside from being purged. And you see, this is one of the reasons why the devil tries to keep us blind, because he doesn't want us seeing what God can really do. He doesn't want us, you know, reaching our full potential in Christ and working those things out. So it is important that we understand that. So he says, his mouth has been purged in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So the Lord was telling him to send him. You know, I mean, well, Isaiah was telling the Lord, send me, because he was already cleaned out from what he was doing. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. So you see how we can be held back from good things concerning the Lord, and that's why it's a dangerous game if we will not receive the truth. We are better off swallowing our pride and letting the Lord work 
that we might have what is necessary because he said to the children of Israel here, okay, Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to speak for me. But he says for these people who don't want him, shut their eyes and their ears that they see nor hear not, lest they see with their ears, I mean, they see with their eyes and they hear with their ears. So, you know, God has given us no excuses here. When we can see things for what they truly are, then that tells us that we are, you know, when we can see them, we have no excuse. And that's why for every truth that is brought to us, unless we receive it, you know, the devil can come and put scales over us and keep us from, from enduring or from having these things. All right, so then it says, Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath, um, have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as the teal tree, and as an oak tree, whose substance is in them, uh, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So, you know, when he says, and it shall be a tenth, when he's talking about the remnant, you know, that sounds about right concerning people who are not blind that will receive the truth. When you look at Gideon's army, there were 32,000 soldiers. All that ever went for the Lord were 300. So you can tell the pickings are going to be slim. Those who truly believe the words of God, aside from any other preconceived notions, it's going to be a slim group of people. So he said, and it would be a tenth. And I, I truly believe that. And I think when it comes down to persecution and other things that may happen, I think it'll go even lower than that. Okay, so this is something that we ought to pay attention to and look at. So from here, let's go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. You guys have a hard time finding it, no? Yeah. Yeah, I can't see in the dark. Oh, yeah. Driving, so mm -hmm. It was a little stressful, but you did it. Yeah, you guys made it. The Lord is good. All right, so this is 2 Corinthians 4. We'll begin at verse 1, and it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about us being righteous before the Lord, that we may do the things that the Lord tells us to do. When he was placed into the ministry, he has his eyes and his mind focus on those things that would be necessary to continue to go. But look at verse 3, because he talks about in verse 2, you know, um, commending themselves to every man's conscience. So when we go out and we preach the gospel, we're letting people know what the Lord desires for us and what we can have, you know. So we're trying to help people to see the truth that they may, that they may choose Jesus Christ aside from the world. But he says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. 
and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So we understand that for people that don't believe, that they've got some help. And the Bible says with a lowercase g in verse 4, that there is a God of this world. Now, we talked about earlier when Jesus talks about that um, when he was confronted by the devil, that there was a lust of the flesh, there was a lust of the eyes, and there was a pride of life. And these are the things that this enemy tries to push on us. Why we don't just fully up and serve the Lord and do what he says, we're pinned down to one of these three things. It is either the lust of the flesh, things that you can sustain for you. It is either the lust of the eyes, those things that keep you blind and away from the word and the will of God. Or it's the pride of life because you don't want to submit yourself to following the Lord when you start thinking of all the things that you can have in this physical carnal life. So he says that these people, unless they find Jesus Christ, that they will go blind. And as you can tell, we've all been there. We've all been in that place where there might have been people shouting at our faces, telling us about Jesus Christ, and we just ignore them and go forward with what we want to do. So it takes miraculous intervention of Jesus Christ that those who are blind will eventually see. So we'll begin, we'll start at verse 5, and it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, um, of who, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we understand here that that light that Jesus Christ would give shine unto their hearts that they might see. So this is where a lot of people have trouble with spiritual blindness and this blindness of the heart. Because, you know, there are a lot of people who will try and touch Jesus Christ mentally. They'll try and receive him in a way of, you know, I'm just trying to make it logically make sense. But the problem that they don't have it is the heart's not open to receive Christ. So, you see, God deals with us in more than one place. Once the heart is open, the mind will make sense. But, see, if the devil can make the heart cold, if he can make the heart callous, then what happens is man will go forward like we talked about in previous teachings like a beast thinking that he has no need for the one true God. So it says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So Paul is talking about mining here. He's talking about why the light that is in Jesus Christ won't shine unto people is because they are covered by these earthen treasures. So, you know, he's letting us know that we have a treasure buried down deep within us. But it seems like we've got this flesh that is covering that area that's keeping us from the thoughts, from the ways, from the nature of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now you know that this is something that no man can do of himself. This is for those who have reached into that treasure and found Jesus Christ, that he will sustain all that is necessary for us to walk in. 
So then it says in verse 10, always bearing about in the body and dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So Paul is talking about killing the old man. Now you know why Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He needed to crucify that flesh so that the light in Christ could shine. So that's why when Paul says in um, Galatians 2 and 20, he says, nevertheless, not just I live, I mean, I'm crucified with Christ, although I am dead to the world, but he said, it's not just I that live, but Christ that, liveth, that lives in me. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't want to tell people this because it's kind of hard to get people to understand. But unless we subdue this flesh, we probably shouldn't even take the time to try and win a soul because it's going to be real hard. But when we have subdued this flesh to follow Jesus Christ, now there's nothing wrong with telling people about Jesus to follow him and do the things that he wants. But if we really want to rake in a harvest and have real results, we've got to crack open this vessel that Christ can live in us. That, that way the anointing would be strong and people could actually see. Because a lot of the times when we talk to people, it could be flesh in front of us that's keeping us from following the Lord, or keeping the people from hearing. But you know when you've been fasting and you've been praying and you've been pursuing him, Man, it seems like it's so easy to go after a soul. Not only does the Lord provide you with the words to speak, but that anointing becomes so strong that people will be drawn in. So the only one that knows how to win a soul is Jesus. Verse 11, For we which live are always delivered up death unto death uh, for Jesus' sake, that the life also in Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal bodies. So he's talking about being delivered up unto death. It sounds like Paul is someone not worried about his life. So you see, in order to walk with the Lord truly, we can't worry about what we want. We have to worry about what the Lord wants. Because as we talked about in previous teachings, this flesh is going to fight you. This flesh does not want to die. And even when this flesh has been crucified, this flesh will come back with a vengeance if we don't stay up under it. All right, so he says in verse 12, So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. So in other words, Paul is saying that he and his ministry, they are dying for the cause of Jesus Christ that others might find life. We having uh, the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of a many redound to the glory of God. So this is another thing that we're working on. And I think a lot of people can be blind and it's hard to get people to see is love for the brethren. But it first begins in loving the Lord. What keeps us from doing that? The love for self, the love for the world, and not even recognizing that the devil is behind the whole thing. There is nothing worse than telling a Christian that, you know, we need to love the brethren and get out and win souls and do the things for the Lord, and your brethren will tell you what the Lord is doing for them. There is nothing more frustrating than that. 
when you're telling people clearly about the need to go out and win a soul and all they can tell you is what they feel about them, what the Lord is doing for them. That is the spirit of Antichrist because the Bible tells us that we ought to esteem the brethren higher than ourselves. We ought to love our neighbor. True love casteth out fear. True love is selflessness. Okay, but see, when you are wrapped up in you, religion can take you over, and all you can talk about is what God is doing for you. Man, that makes me want to puke when people start talking about that, because you know what? That's all you can see. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if a person can tell you about them, when you're talking to them about the brethren and others, man, you, let me not even go there, but let me just choose my words carefully. But one of the biggest problems is people into self. You know, and the Lord is not going to work through anybody like that. Verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So that's the problem too. There's this old man. There's this outward man. There's the care for you and not for what the Lord wants. So if we crucify the flesh and we pursue the Lord, then the outward man is going to die. You're not going to be so worried about you or what you want. You'll be worried about what Jesus wants, and you'll care for the brethren. It's almost like people can't see until these things are taken away from us. There is nothing more humbling than a wealthy man losing his money. There's nothing more humbling than losing your job. There's nothing more humbling than looking for a place to live or wondering what you're going to eat. Sometimes the Lord has to bring us this low in order for us to see and to care for others. But before that point, you just don't get it. Making you what? Spiritually blind. Your eyes can be wide open, but all you see is what you want. So verse 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us as far more exceeding the eternal weight of glory. So we understand too, that because of the things that you know we might want in this world that we can't even look upon eternal life that's the other part of blindness not only do you not obey the lord or or you can't hear his voice or look for the brethren but you're not even focused on eternal life you're looking for the here and now you're looking for what you can get now i mean and that's really sad because all jesus ever focused on was eternal life can we have things here yes but they all have to be contributing toward the kingdom. These things can't mean anything to us. But when a person is spiritually blind, all they can think about is them. Me, mine, I is the spirit of Satan. Verse 18. While we look uh, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what is it going to take to see this? Spiritual eyes. What is it going to take to know this? The mind of Christ. You cannot look at the things that are eternal when your mind is focused on things that are temporal. And this is, this is why spiritual blindness is so sad. Because you can see someone starving and not even want to minister to them. Not even want to give them anything. And then your flesh will justify it saying, well, maybe they're on drugs. Maybe they brought that on themselves. You know, or maybe, you know, they're, they're really crying for help, but you're so into you that it can't be heard. 
You know, these are things that we need to really worry about. So I'm gonna, I want to go back one right next door. We're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to begin at verse 1, because we're going to see more of this spiritual blindness. And there are people sitting in church for 50 years, knowing that they're right and they're dead wrong. All right, this is 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, and it says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some other epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? For are ye, I mean, for ye are, ye are our epistle written of our hearts, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So one would say, aha, we're finally in that place of why people won't get it, because they're there. You have hearts of stone and not hearts after Christ. And that's why when Nebuchadnezzar was turned into a beast, it's because he had a beast heart. But after that seven years, after that pride hit him and that pride went from him, then the Lord could actually give him a heart of flesh that he might wake up and see what the truth is. So when you look at that and then you look at the fact that Solomon, when he became king of Israel, Solomon came to the Lord and said, Lord, what can I do? Remember that? He said, Lord... I don't know whether to go in or to come out. So Solomon prayed for a hearing heart. And the Lord not only just gave him a hearing heart, but gave him wisdom and gave him riches. So you see, when your heart can't hear the Lord, it's because your heart is covered. And we're going we're gonna to cover this right now. Verse 4. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. So if we have trust in Jesus Christ, the only place that Jesus is going to head you is Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So you see how Paul is making it clear, not that we think much of ourselves. Yeah, we are focused to going towards God, but our sufficiency is in Christ. That's why he says in um, Philippians chapter 3, he talks about not having confidence in the flesh. And then he talks about the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those things that will keep us from dying out to self and being alive to Jesus. It's because that the heart is covered, you know, by something else other than what it should be. So he said, our sufficiency is of God. If we could ever get to that place where we lose the trust in man, where we lose the trust in money, where we lose the trust in family and friends. And I'm not saying don't trust them. But when we can actually say our sufficiency is of God, you will truly be in that place that God can work through you. But other than that, we're still kind of blind to some things because, you know, one, we're growing in grace, but two, the natural world is so real to us. You know what that means? It's time for the flesh to die. Verse 6, who also have made, able, have made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So you see, even the law can only go but so far. When we go back to spiritual blindness, a lot of people are so religious. 
Now remember what in Galatians 2 Paul talked about how he was zealous over the traditions of his of his uh, religion or his elders that he was killing the Christians thinking that he was right. It wasn't until the Lord knocked him off that horse or that donkey at Damascus, gave him a new set of eyes, had to blind him a few days until Paul understood what the right way was and to walk that way. All right, so he says, um, verse 7, But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorified, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. So it makes clear that Moses' law was not to be followed, but when Moses went up and received the Ten Commandments, being in the presence of God, he came down, his face was still you know, lit up from being in the presence that people could not even look at Moses. So Paul is asking the question, then how much greater would it be to have that burning bush that Moses spoke to living in you? How much greater would that be than the, than the, the law that was to be done away? Um, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now here's another thing that we got to learn about the law, and I'm going to tell people about church. Church can't make you righteous, okay? Church can tell you about righteousness. Church can teach you the ways of righteousness, you know, but when it comes to being righteous, that is the work of the Holy Ghost. That is the work of time spent with the Lord that the Spirit will give you. But see, you got a lot of people in church thinking they've done their Christian duty and they go to church and sit there for two hours, feel good and leave. And they think that that's making them righteous, never knowing the Lord. So it is important that we get to that place of getting closer to the Lord, not getting farther away, thinking that there's some religious work that we can do to make it. Verse nine, for if I think I read that verse 10, for even that which is made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, uh, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moses, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was which is abolished. So you see, all the children of Israel knew was the law. All church people know is church. All they know is church. All false religions, all they know is what they're into. But we've got, and all the people of the world, all they know is the world. But you see, God is trying to take us behind the veil. When Jesus died, that veil over the um, inner court was rent, which means that each and every individual has free passage to get to Jesus Christ and pursue that real treasure, making them able to see. As long as we have that veil in front of us, we can't see what God wants. That's why when you ask people, okay, what is the Lord's purpose for you? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know why? Because you've got that veil in front of you. You're still in many ways spiritually blind when God wants us to get into the place of the most holy place. I mean, imagine sitting there talking to God, having him instruct us with what we need to know and what we need to do. 
And you know, the only people that can get to that most holy place are going to be the only people that God is going to raise on that last day. That's why people can say, well, in your name, didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do all these things? And he's going to say, I never knew you. We did a teaching once. You guys may remember that called Behind the Veil. We've got to get back there to know what God wants. But the, the one thing that's keeping us from getting behind is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these things have to be subdued. Verse 14, But their minds were blinded, for until that day remaineth the same veil, un, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil was done away in Christ. So you see, there's a veil there is why these people's minds are blinded. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And this is when you know. If you want to know if you're tied up, if your mind is blind, Attempt to do things aside from your church. I'm talking to the church people, even people within this ministry. Do things aside from what the Lord, to, I mean, from what everyone else is doing because the Lord is leading you, and that will tell you if you are free. He says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm not speaking against unity. We are a body, but we are to be interdependently independent. That means we need one another, we work together, we do things together. But if one should fall, you go and continue and do the work that the Lord tells you to do. Okay? You know, we've had fingers out of socket and we've had, you know, toes that were hurt. Guess what? The other remaining toes on the um, feet or, or the, on the fingers on the hand, they continuously compensate for those fingers that are not working. But if we only see ourselves as, unless I can move one finger, the rest don't move, and I mean, come on, you're talking about a crippled individual. Jesus Christ said, loose the colt that I may ride him into town. He said, if anyone should ask of these things, you tell them that I have need of these things. So you see, when God has need of you, if you are spiritually blind, then you can't even hear him, let alone see him and do what he wants you to do. So it's important that we don't get tied to religion. We don't get tied to the things that we love because it's those things that keep us blind and away from him. Verse 18, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Now, you guys remember we did a teaching faith to faith, glory to glory. It makes clear here in verse 18 that we are going to slowly be changed by glory to glory unto the Lord. What does glory to glory mean? As the Lord gets more glory and you spend more time with him, you will be transformed. Why? Because you'll have that faith. You'll have that faith to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance, and faith. And then those fruit will um, eventually blossom unto the gifts of the Spirit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, you know, the, the spirit of discernment, the laying on of hands, uh, the working of miracles, all these things that we could have in Christ. But we first have to remove the veil. 
There's this spiritual blindness that is keeping us from doing what we need to do in Christ. So if anyone has anything to add, they can. If not, let's go to Matthew 13. I do. Yeah. So to go back to what you said about if one finger doesn't move, then uh, some fingers may not move. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like a, uh, a statue or an idol, as it talks about in Jeremiah 5. Mm-hmm. Because a statue or an idol cannot hear and it cannot move. Exactly. So that makes us self-idols or self-idolaters um, if we're unable to move if someone else is not moving. You're absolutely right. And that's why Psalm 115 talks about dumb idols. It talks about the things that people like to get into that, um, you know, self-idolatry is a part of idolatry. Why a lot of people won't do the Lord's will, they love themselves too much. So you see, all that stuff's got to be taken away in Christ because even when you hear songs, let's go to, um, I said Matthew 13, right? Mm -hmm. All right, but you know, even when you hear songs like The Greatest Love of All, now, see, everybody loved that song. Um, George Benson wrote it and sang it. Whitney Houston sang it. Now people are singing it today. And it just sounds like one of the greatest songs ever written. But listen to the words. The greatest love is to love yourself. That song, as much as I liked it growing up, that is the spirit of Antichrist. The greatest love of all is to love yourself. I mean, come on. I mean, that's Antichrist written all over it. But people will sing that song, play it on graduations and all these things. But you know how many people were brainwashed by that song? Self-love, self-preservation. That is the Antichrist. All right, so we'll go to Matthew 13 and we'll begin at verse 1. Matthew 13 and 1, and it says, And the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So that he went into a ship and sat, and, um, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things uh, unto them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had um, not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because uh, they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Uh, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. You want to know the interesting thing about all these seeds, and it just hit me again, I guess, because we were talking about the narrow way. You get a sense that only the narrow groups of people make it into the last thing where they start to bear fruit. If you notice, he had so many different things. Some fell by the wayside. Some fell on, you know, the concrete. Some fell on this. Birds ate them up. Some were choked by thorns. But then there was only one group here that made it into that bearing fruit. So as you can tell, the odds are against those who are willing to follow the Lord in everything that he does. Mm -hmm. So it says in verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? 
And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to, um, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So let's understand this. Why was it okay for Jesus to speak to his people that they might receive it and that they may have the mysteries of heaven, but not unto the other people that were standing around? Because their, um, their hearts had already been turned away or they didn't believe. They didn't have hearing hearts like they had hearts of stone. Goes a little bit deeper than that. They had the spirit of Antichrist in them. Well, think about this. You have an answer or no? You said, okay. But if you are walking with Jesus, then you are a disciple. Mm -hmm. So only the disciples of Jesus Christ, those who were disciplined after him, will have that. Um, they, they'll be able to receive the mysteries, which are the Holy, which is the Holy Ghost. You know, you don't get the Holy Ghost unless you believe. So you were kind of on it when you mentioned that. But those who are disciples after Christ, it was for them to know. Why? When you remember in, in Matthew 19, Peter said, we have forsaken all to follow you. But these people were just sitting around listening. So you see, they weren't intimate enough with Jesus to get the mysteries. And that's why when you compare these 12 disciples to all the people that were standing around, they were the ones who fell by the wayside. They were the ones who did this. But then you had that small little remnant with Christ that was able to walk in and do what he says. So he says, um, verse uh, 12, For whosoever uh, hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So you do have a point there. What Sarah brought up is being brought forth too, that they couldn't see because they desired things from the world. But you see, those who are disciples after Jesus will be able to see. So, you know, you brought up a good point, but that's this is the whole point is those who follow the Lord. Right. Verse 14, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which uh, saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their, ear, with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So you know this is why Jesus Christ came, but you see there's something between these people and God. And we're going to cover that um, uh, in a minute. So he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So Jesus is making clear that as we are in this period of grace and we are learning, we've got to recognize that we are in a very privileged time. The fact that we weren't judged according to the law and the fact that Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet because it's judgment day. But we are in that period of 
having the grace of God, getting it right, having the Holy Ghost imparted to us, and us being sanctified in Christ. So he says in verse um, 18, and he says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Uh, this is he that receiveth seed by the wayside. So we understand for this individual, the reason why they didn't get it is because the devil came and took it away, but it was because they heard it, but they didn't really understand it, you know? And then he talks about that the enemy will come and take it away. Now, remember, Jesus said, unless they understand, how do they understand? With their hearts. So if people's hearts are closed to the Lord because they have a heart after other things, it's almost impossible to tell someone that. That's just like being in love with somebody. And someone is telling you, maybe you should date that person. Now, in your heart, you're like, man, I'm in love with this person. I don't feel anything for them. It's the same way if Jesus Christ were to tell us, if you've got a heart for the world, how can you have a heart for me? If you've got a heart for Jesus, how can you have a heart for the world? So we've got to understand that that which we have a heart after are those things that we understand and we go after. So it was easy for the devil to come and tackle this person because they didn't have a heart for the Lord. So I heard it, but my heart is still someplace else. So that makes you an easy target. Verse 20, but he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. So immediately with joy, they hear the word and they're like, man, this is what I want to do. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word by and by he is offended. So this is an individual that did not, what Jesus said, count the cost. Man, it sounds like a good idea at the time I heard it, but there was no root in it. But for someone that's counted the cost, we'll go to Luke 14 and see, man, I, I got to hate mother and father, son and daughter, all these other things to pursue the Lord. Now, he doesn't mean hate with hatred. He's talking about you can't love these things more. And it says his own life. So if you can't forsake these things, then your heart is elsewhere. So he says these people are excited about hearing about the good news, but they never counted the cost. They never figured out what are you going to have to endure in order to have this. And this is why most people drop out. This gospel is just like boot camp. When people come in, you know, they get it. They might stay in for certain reasons. They got friends. They love to hear all this stuff. But once the Lord says, okay, I need boots on the ground. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Forsake your life and carry your cross. Then you start to see the crowd get real thin. Why? Because they never counted the cost. So that they were only play acting. It sounded fun, but they don't have root in themselves. There's no Christ in them. You know, they have, they have that, uh, what do you call it? They got the soul, you know, worked up. They're excited. There's no spirit. They come for a pie and cake sale. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to actually doing stuff, that's when they're like, man, I didn't, I just came for the good times. I didn't mm -hmm. come for all this mm -hmm. other stuff. Exactly. You didn't even know when you came unto the Lord, you were enlisting in war. Mm -hmm. And that's something people don't even recognize. So then he says in verse uh, 22, 
He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. So here's another person, the cares of this life. These are the things that keep us from pursuing the Lord. We can hear the word and understand it. But like I said, you know, I'm speaking to myself. Why we haven't fully just given it over? Why haven't we ever walked in faith and said, you know what? I'm done with work, Lord. I'm going to pursue you. The Lord knows when we're serious. But it's almost like a bird that is trying to fly out of the nest. Eventually, the mother's got to let him go and that bird has to fly. But that bird starts to believe that he can. But you see, when the Lord, when we step out on that kind of faith and say, Lord, you, if I'm going to work, you're going to dictate where I work. You're going to dictate who I marry. You're going to dictate what I do and, and how my kids are going to be raised. That is total faith. So you see, unless we walk in that type of faith, we're always going to be pulled back from something that we want in this world. You know, we need the Lord. And so it says in 23, but he that received the seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. So as you can tell, these people were not given over unto their own desires. They kept their minds focused on the Lord. All right. Those people were not blind. So let's go to first John chapter two. And a matter of fact, I do want to make this point. I'm going to tell people for Matthew 13, read all of it in your spare time. I believe it has seven parables. But at the end of this parables, it's kind of sad because Jesus tried to do everything and these people wouldn't um, wouldn't deal with it. So this is um, Matthew 13 and 53. And it says, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence have this man of uh, this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? So as you can see, these guys are blind. These guys are spiritually blind. They're looking at Jesus in the flesh. I thought that was a baby for a minute. But um, they are not. Um, they're looking at Jesus in the flesh because they know him. But they're not seeing him for who he is as the son of God, as the Messiah sent to redeem man. So it says in verse 57, and they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save his, I mean, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So you see how an unbelieving heart is a blind heart. Imagine the Messiah coming up. He's in your family. He was raised in your town. He now manifests to help, but you are still focusing on how can he claim this? Isn't this... Jesus, the son of Joseph, isn't his mother Mary? Aren't those his brothers and sisters? It's like, guys, do you not see that this is the son of God? Is why he can do this? But this is why people are so blind, because they are so into the carnal world. So we're going to um, 1 John chapter 2. Man, that blindness is something. 
trying to tell people, and no matter what, you just feel like, man, you were saying all of this for nothing. First John two, almost there. This should be the scripture that hits home with a lot of stuff. And after that, we got scriptures going to take us out rather easily. All right. First John 2, and we'll begin in verse 1. And it says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So there's no other true way to know that we know the Lord is to keep his commandments. What is the first? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. The second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said in Matthew 22, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. So unless we are doing these things, then we know that we belong to him. Verse four, he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So you see how it's important that if we're going to walk with Jesus, you know, our love has to be perfected. Because everybody wants love to just be like this emotional thing, like this feeling. God is not asking you to feel anything about it. He's commanding you to do. But see, people can't fathom this, how you can take a stranger into your house, how you can take care of people or love your enemies. These are all what the sons of God would do. So he says, he that saith he abide in him ought himself also um, to walk even as he walked. Now bring this up in church and see what happens to you. See if they won't take you out and throw you on your head like they tried to do Jesus in, in Luke 4. Because people of, I don't know what's happened to this Christianity where we've become very slothful, we've become lazy, we've become religious, we don't see the need to serve the Lord. And that's a problem. So he says, uh, verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had uh, from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So you see, when you're into Christ, that darkness that we may have in ourselves passes away. And what do we end up with? The true righteousness of Christ that shineth through the darkness. So then it says, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness, that darkness hath blinded his eyes. 
So you see how we're talking about if you don't pursue the Lord and follow him and you don't love your brother like you should because you're loving yourself, he's saying that you're in darkness. He says you hate your brother if you don't look after him. So you see, this this is that type of blindness. But if you tell us to a church person, oh, well, I didn't have the money. Well, yeah, you got the money to throw offering in that plate. You got the money to go and do the things that you want to do, to get your hand, your nails done, but you don't care about someone who's starving. So the Lord is saying, man, that person is in darkness. Verse 12, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Um, you, for his name's sake, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So he's talking to all people in every generation about their need to overcome. All right, so now we're going to find out why everybody is so blind. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So right away we understand the love for the world automatically makes you in darkness. It puts you in blindness. And it can tempt you away from the things that God wants you to have. This is the parable of the sower pretty much. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So as we can understand when the devil attacked Jesus Christ with this, Jesus Christ knew in order for him to see, in order for the veil to be rent between he and the Father, in order for Jesus to be that shining light unto the world, he had to forsake these three things. So if the Bible says that we should walk as Christ walked, then you know that we've got no business dealing with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And and Paul, I mean, John makes clear all of these things are in the world. I don't care how much anybody tries to argue this, the Bible reads clear. We need to be set free of these things if we are going to pursue him. So it says in verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So it's talking about here forsaking the world. Now anyone who doesn't want to see this is blind. But he says, man, it's only those who do the will of God will abide forever. What is the will of God? Loving him first and loving your neighbor. You want to know something funny? I'm not telling people to quit their jobs, but... If you got a nine to five, you can't really love the brethren like that because some of your time is being bogged down. If the Lord is speaking to you in your schedule, you know, the Lord's going to have to wait till lunch where you can actually go down and pray and talk to them. You're going to have to talk to them before or after work. So you see how demanding the world is, you know, and if, and if we would trust the Lord that he would sustain us with everything we had, we wouldn't have to work. So you see, we want to be set free. Right now, we're doing what we have to do, but the end game is to be set free. And anybody that tells me I'm not telling the truth concerning this, then why is it eventually that the mark of the beast will be instituted 
and you won't be able to buy or sell except you receive a mark. That tells us right there that we are eventually going to be cut from this system. Why? Because it's not ours. So we got to get to the point of trusting the Lord in total faith that we can see this world for what it is, that it is ruled by Satan, and that we might not be blind. So he says, this is a, here's another problem in, seven, in 18. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they are not all of us. So he first spoke of Antichrist in, in 18, and then in 19 he tells you why people depart. Anyone who has a heart for the world is of the spirit of Antichrist. If we have little pieces of that in us, we're praying for sanctification for the Lord to remove it. But they cannot stay with the Lord if they're Antichrist. Eventually, what is in you is going to show forth. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what Jesus said. Verse 20. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is in the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You know how many religions are based on this? This is a part of that spiritual blindness. Almost every religion that is false in the world will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, he might be the way, but he's not the only way. See, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Those are people that are blind. Whosoever denieth the Son and the same have not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning, if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. So in order to have that, it's got to remain in us. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that what? Seduce you. So there are people that will try and seduce you away from the truth, away from forsaking the world, away from not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are people in this world that will do that. And that's what he's calling them, that they are seducers. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of the things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. So this is a beautiful thing that when we receive the truth and we allow the light to shine unto us, the Lord will give us that truth. I remember when I first started seeking truth, Sarah and I were talking about this, but... When this ministry first began, or when I first got closer to the Lord, the Lord was showing me exposing every religion. I didn't know a lick of the Bible, but one thing I knew for sure was exposing every single religion that there was. And I couldn't understand why the Lord was just exposing, debunking, exposing, debunking. But then when he started teaching me his word, 
everything became clear of that which is of Christ and that which is not of Christ. So you see, he was opening my eyes. He was pulling back the scales that we wouldn't be seduced. I mean, that's a blessing. When people try and come to you with all their flower power and loving the Lord and, oh, man, brother, we just need to love each other. You got to be careful with that love, too, and make sure it's the love of Christ. Because if it's not, some people just want to love to get along, but they don't want to preach the gospel, which will make them also antichrist. I'm not going to agree with somebody because they believe something else. The only way we can walk together is if we agree. If we're not, then, hey, I wish you the best, but I can't allow my salvation to get messed with because I'm trying to be friends with the world that doesn't even want God. Okay, let's go to Matthew 15 and um, Ephesians 4, if you guys can get them both. Let's go to Matthew 15 first. We're actually good on time, but this lesson ain't going to be too long. All right. Matthew 15, we'll begin at verse 1. I don't know where to get this dry throat. Always before every conference, the devil tries to make me, you know, tries to get me sick. It ain't going to work. I don't care if I got laryngitis, I'm going up there to speak. Alright, so this is Matthew 15, we'll begin at verse 1, and it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do the disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So remember, we guys went over this before, but we're just going to make a point in here. And then it says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother. He that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by him. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye uh, made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition, so he's saying you're supposed to honor your mother and father regardless of them talking about what something is as a gift that they can actually move forward. Verse 7, he says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy to you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Then came the disciples and said unto him, Knowest, that, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So they're asking Jesus, Do you not understand that the Pharisees have been offended? Well, why do you think Jesus doesn't care? The bottom line is Jesus Christ is only focused on the will of the Father and doing the will. But you see how even though the disciples were walking with Jesus, they still had somewhat a religious mindset. They were still worried about the Pharisees being offended. 
And see, this is why when you walk with the Lord and you get stronger with him and you believe what Jesus Christ tells you, you don't care about, you know, what people think or how they feel. You obey the spirit of God. And that's why we need to be more God conscious and not self-conscious. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father have not planted shall be rooted up. So that was his answer to the Pharisees not knowing or, or not having their, you know, feelings not hurt. You know, he said what needed to be said. He said, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And that's why the Bible tells us in Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 3, he said, for them that will live godly, they will suffer persecution. Why? Because this world is in darkness. And if you're coming to bring light, you're going to be seen as rude. But he says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why? Because they don't want the truth. When you shut your eyes and ears to the truth, then God, then the devil will put scales over your mind and then you will walk around in darkness believing that you're right. You don't want a strong delusion coming from God. You want to hear the truth of God that you might know because there's nothing worse than the blind leading the blind. And that's why when I tell people the truth of the Bible in here and they go get their pastor and their pastor call me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tell you the same thing. We're going to go right to the scripture. You think because you called and you got credentials, I'm supposed to be now worried about you calling? Yeah, you can call. As a matter of fact, why don't I come to your church and you can get your congregation and we can discuss this before everybody. But you see, when you are in the truth in Christ, you don't have anything to feel bad about. You're in the right and we need to stand for the truth. Then mm -hmm. the walk around blind just to get along. That's crazy. Ephesians 4. And we'll start at verse 11. Yep. He can find it, huh? <laughs> I'm looking for it. He said, where for? Turn to it right now. Say, I got this. He's shy too. All right, little man, hold that word. You're the future. Oh, let him know. All right, Ephesians 4, and we'll begin at verse 11. All right, he's almost there. All right, Ephesians 4 and 11, and it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Jesus once again gave us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What a beautiful thing. And this is where we're going. We're getting in that place that we can be built up to have Christ Jesus fully formed in us. Why, Paul? Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So it is important that we understand too that, because I see this a lot with people, you would never believe how often people read the Bible 
but it's almost like they don't believe in it. So they go to different teachers, they go to different pastors or whatever, that'll give them a different perspective, and then they're kind of back and forth not knowing what they believe. And I'm not going to spend the time to constantly tell a person, you know, the truth. If I'm proclaiming what I believe, you can either read your Bible yourself and study it and, and pick it up and know that what it said is, being, is, is true. But there are a lot of people that claim to be Christians that will be blind. They'll hear you preach and explain the word. They'll go somewhere else and hear something else. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I said or what that other person said. Where are your eyes, spiritual or physical, to be able to read this and understand it for yourself? Why, why you got almost 2 billion Catholics out there is because they don't read and understand the Bible for themselves. Why you got Jehovah Witnesses, well, their Bibles are corrupt. Ain't nothing you can say about that and the Mormons. But why you got so many out there that won't believe what the Bible says is because they do not read it. They only take it out on Sunday, and the pastor will read one or two lines. They'll read it and believe it. They won't even study that. They'll get entertained by that, go home, relax, come back next Sunday for more entertainment. Man, this word has to live in you and stay in you. So he says, you know, there's a lot of people lying in wait to deceive. To be honest with you, why I study the Bible for self, one, the Lord has given me the nature to love the word of God, but two... I'm not trusting my soul with a bunch of people out there with what they say. Are you kidding? They say, man, these people are lying and wait to deceive. Now, I'm going to just trust you. I'm just going to blindfold myself, sit in the congregation, and believe everything you said. No, you better study yourself to know what this word says. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by uh, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body uh, unto the edifying of itself in love. So we ought to grow in Christ. That is something that we got to understand too. We'll never fully have it to where we want to be in Christ. Even when we get full, even when we're baptized in fire, we've got to desire more. We've got to continue to pursue. And then we've got to keep that fire burning. Never get satisfied in your walk with Jesus. Verse, And I guarantee you the Lord won't be offended. Verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. So Gentiles are kind of like people that don't believe in, in Jesus, the one true God, but they're also worldly people. How do worldly people walk? In the vanity of their minds. What they're going to do, why they're going to school, how much they can make, what their plans are aside from the one true God. So he says they walk in that. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. This is what the devil did to Adam and Eve when he offered them the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They took the fruit thereof and did eat, and all of a sudden they recognized that they were naked. So what does that tell you? That they lost their spiritual eyes, and now they're back into their physical eyes, knowing things that they should not have known. 
You know, so this is how a lot of people's um, darkness, uh, darkness can cover them. When you're alienated from the life of God because they were cut from the tree of life, then you see how they had to fend for themselves and they were subject to death. But when they had the tree of life, that was all they needed and all they wanted to, you know, all that they could know. Hey, wake up. So it says in 19, <laughs> no, 19, it says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, which is like lustful, greedy desires to work all uncleanness with greediness. But Paul says in verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we need new minds to focus on Jesus, to be a part of Jesus Christ that we might grow. As long as we're looking at things in our carnal, physical minds, we cannot do the things that the Lord would want us to do because our thoughts would be so alienated from God. That's why the Lord says in um, Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. We need a higher level of understanding because this is why when you tell people about homosexuality being wrong, what do people do? They justify it because they're looking through the darkness, that veil that is placed over there. But if you ask the Lord for understanding and you're able to see, then you know why certain things are wrong. This is what we need to follow the Lord. All right, so let's move on. Let's go to um, Ephesians 5, and we're going to start at verse uh, 8. Ephesians 5, right next door in 8. And it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as the children of light. So when it says that we are to walk as Jesus walked, we need to walk in that righteousness. At one point, we were all in darkness. No one's condemning anybody here. We're just telling people where you can get the life and the light of Christ that you might see. Then it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So, you know, you may have people um, come in acting like the world, dressed like the world, don't know Jesus Christ. If you make the atmosphere conducive for holding the Holy Ghost, you don't even have to tell that person about what is right and what is wrong. The Holy Ghost himself will change that person's mind and their desires that they may be more like Jesus. So you see, the Holy Ghost will show us what is acceptable in the eyes of God. We use the example before, if you're around somebody that's smoking, and you could be a Christian not even involved in that, but they'll come over to you, you know, or, hey, how you doing? Hey, good, how are you? How's the family? And they'll say, good. They'll pull out a cigarette. You know what they'll say? I know I shouldn't be smoking. I know I should quit. But, you know, I'm just right now, I'm working on some things. See, that's conviction, because you know that you shouldn't be doing it, but see, they they act like it's your fault as to why they're doing it. Oh, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I should quit. That's the Holy Ghost talking to you. So it is important that through our conversation and how we live, that we live righteous and in the ways of the Lord. Why? Because it glorifies God. Verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but rather reproved it, meaning exposed it. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So this is why we can't be hypocrites, because if we're hypocrites, we can come and try and tell people about Jesus, but it's almost like the dirt that is in you is going to witness against you. I mean, come on, we know that when we've been fasting and when we've been seeking the Lord and doing right, we can come and tell people with boldness. You can be in a meeting and you'll just bring up something with scripture and feel nothing about it because your spirit man is strong. But when you know that you haven't been doing what the Lord says to do, it's almost like when you go to talk to someone. Now, mind you, you're the one with the light, but you can't even look them in the eye because you know there's something in you that is not right. So you're like, um, so, you know, you, you need to really pursue Jesus because he's um, he's good and you can't even speak because you know you're, the Holy Ghost is looking at you. What about you? What about what you say? What about what you do? So it is important that we not be in, the, in darkness because he says here that made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now we can all be sitting in a dark room. If I come in here with more dark, guarantee you it will not get brighter in here. But if I turn on the light, it will shine forth and expose everything in here that is not right. So he says in 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So only Jesus Christ can give you the eyes to see where you can wake up from the dead and you can recognize what is around you and what we should be doing for the Lord. Only the light in Jesus Christ can give us this. He told those people that when they wanted to uh, stone that woman in adultery, he said, I am the light of the world. For those that will come to him will be exposed and the light which shine forth. He told us in Matthew 5 that we are the light and salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be but to be trodden under the foot of men? So our lights need to shine that other people can see. It's no wonder that this world has come to darkness. When you got half the church not even telling people the truth. Think about it. Half the church itself is in darkness. So it's going to take a special kind of people that are of God that will go forward and do the righteous works of God. Letting their light so shine that other people may come to the truth. All right. Let's go to um, 2 Peter chapter 2. I mean, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1 and 1.
That's why this it's good that this lesson is bring up being brought up about spiritual blindness because yes. a lot of people don't even recognize that. Mm-mm. But that's what it is. That's what they're bad. Mm-hmm. I just talked to another to Derek the other day. That's what I've been with her. I mean, it's been like that for quite some time. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like I'm silenced because I can't even say anything. Just like you were saying, like who who am I to go and it's good to recognize. <laughs> yeah, it's good to recognize because a lot of people don't. They, um, I guess, recognition of things that are going on in our lives is the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and until we can get it out of us and let the Lord heal it from us, heal us from it, then some people think it's easier. Whatever pain that they have endured in their life. They think it's uh, easier just to bury it right. and go a different direction than to actually like face it head on. Face it and have the Lord pull it from us so that mm-hmm. we don't feel it anymore. It's just like if he scrapes his knee if he scrapes his knee, you know, you have to put peroxide and stuff like that on it for it to heal and it doesn't feel good at first. But if you don't, then it can get infected and it can get worse and worse than just right. You know, taking care of the meat right away. All right. All right, so we're going to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 1. And it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, and of Jesus uh, our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So, you know, this is what people who are unbelieving are missing out on. His divine power, it says, given unto us that pertain unto life. So not only are you going to be living, you know, in this life, but you're going to live eternally with Christ. Then it says, and godliness through the knowledge of him uh, that have called us to glory and virtue. Man, it's like he's giving you a clean slate that you can work through, that you can walk in. Whereby are given unto us exceeding, exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, it's one thing to have a nature, and some of us think that we're better than we really are, but imagine having a divine nature. Imagine actually being like Christ. I mean, you know, who would give that up just to be like you want to be? I mean, to actually be right or righteous, not by your own standards, by what some New Agers would say universal standards seen right in the eyes of God. No hypocrisy, no partiality, you know, nothing that would, um, that can be pointed out as blameful, you know, or blamed. Hypocrisy. Right. So it says, um, be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you see, so if we can put down the lust of the world, we can escape the corruption of the world. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. 
So not only do you get to escape the world, but he says in all diligence, it'll add to your faith. Your faith, birth, your, your, your faith will be true. And see, that's why when, when we tell people that they need to come and pursue Jesus or to have faith in the Lord, a lot of people can't do it because they're still alive to the world. The only way that those disciples were going to have more um, faith in Jesus was when he took them into a desert you know, that he could break bread for them. When he walked on water, when he took them into impossible situations to show them, I've got you no matter what. Unless we can get to this measure of faith, we are blind. We cannot see. So he says, man, you can have faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance because you know who God is. You spend time with him. So you will treat others the way that God treats you. You get what I'm saying? You have more patience. And then it says, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, lastly, charity, which is what? Love. So you see, everybody wants love void of these things. People want love void of patience, love void of temperance, love void of truth, love void of faith. You're not going to have it unless you walk with the Lord. Unless you get tighter in him, then is your love perfected. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall uh, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why and many times some of us, and I'll say us, we can be unfruitful and be barren, meaning no life in us, no bringing people to Jesus. It's because that we don't have that knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see how there are more people spiritually blind than you recognize. There are things within us that the Lord wants to take from us that we might see. The only reason why we are not bearing the fruit that we should bear is mostly because of the fact that we are into self. We are into life. We are into church. We are into other things. But we're putting things in front of us that is disconnecting that lifeline between us and Jesus. This also was like the parable of the sower. But he that lacketh uh, these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was sprang from his old sins. Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So you see, we've got to get back to that lifeline. We need a fresh anointing. We need to get closer to Jesus. Because he says, when you can forget what the Lord has done, or we're not bearing fruit, it's because we're, for we're forgetting about those past sins that we should be moving beyond. It's kind of like you can't stay stuck in neutral. You're either going forward or backward. If we're standing still and doing the same things that we've been doing, you start going backwards. That's what frustrates a Christian. Because you're like, Lord, I'm doing A, B, C, and D now. You know, but why, why am I not growing? Why am I feel like I'm going backwards? You know why? Because you're doing A, B, C, and D for 10 years. It's time to move on. You know, it's time to grow. It's time to get past that so God can be shown forth in you. It's time to put the Lord to the test in so many things. Um, 
I'm going to go to Revelation 3 and get Revelation 17 and I'm done. And we'll start at verse 14. Revelation 3 and 14. Right. So Revelation 3 and 14. And it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now we've got to understand something concerning the church of Laodicea. Because if he's talking about you being neither cold nor hot, that means that sounds like halfway with Jesus, halfway with the world. You see, this is the problem with the Laodiceans. Why they can't stay hot. He doesn't even want lukewarm. God wants us red hot for him. If we're cold, he's kind of like, you know what, you guys are lukewarm. He would rather you just be cold so he can just tell you to, you know, all right, move on. You know, but when you're playing both sides of the fence, that stuff sickens the Lord. How do you feel when you have friends that side with you and then you have friends that will turn their backs on you? How does it feel when you got people come here for study you know, one day, or they're, they're in it full time, and then all of a sudden, they disappear for a while. That stuff becomes sickening. That stuff can really get to you, not because you don't care for people, you don't want people to go, but if you've got things that you're trying to do in Christ, and you're looking for numbers, and you need boots on the ground, and you need people involved, and people are not available, what does that do? You can't rely on them, so how can God rely on you? This is the thing that we're trying to make clear. And you know what? I thank the Lord for putting me in the ministry because you know something? The more I struggle with this, the more I'm recognizing what I do to him and the heart of the Lord I am gaining. In that, he's not making, I mean, he's, he's removing the scales from me because he's put me in a position that I might feel what he feels. Man, only those who can feel for the Lord are only the ones who can speak for him. Alright, so he said he would spew them out of his mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So, you know, these are, these are worldly people, they love their riches, they trust in them. People like Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, people like Creflo Dollar, they love to talk about all that they have, they talk about prosperity as gain. When the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. Gain is not godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So he says these people don't even realize with all their riches, all that they trust in, all their worldly desires, that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy from me. So the Lord is saying, okay. Look, I already know what you guys are into. You guys are into some crooked stuff. All right? You guys are into the world. You're not loving me. You're, you're what do you call it? You are uh, deceiving people left and right. But the Lord is saying here in verse 18, I counsel you, I counsel you to buy from him, buy from me gold 
tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. So he's making clear that in order to be with him, he's saying, hey man, buy from me Christ. Buy from me the Holy Ghost that is tried in the fire. The Holy Ghost has been through every single test, guiding Jesus Christ to where he needed. Jesus Christ has been tried in the fire. Blood bought, we are, we are bought by his blood, and he is the only remission of sins. So what you want to invest in is Jesus Christ, who did overcome death, and hell, and the grave, and, and I mean, and, and sin, and he is standing on the right hand of the Father, or sitting at the right hand of the Father. So you want someone that not only endured this time and conquered it, you want one that has endured the world to come. Okay, so this is the only thing that we should invest in because this is eternal life. And look at what he says next. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So you see, only the, those who are spiritually and I mean spiritually blind will not see this. That they need the Lord's counsel, that we may gain all that we need and have that true treasure that is Christ. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and be zealous therefore, and repent, because I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice uh, and open the door, I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. So Jesus is talking about being one with him. So Jesus is not, we're not knocking. Jesus is the one standing at the door and knocking, giving us an invitation to come unto him. Now, he does say, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. But right now, he's standing at the door with this lukewarm church saying, hey, look, I'm at the door. All you got to, and I'm knocking. I'm asking to know you. I'm asking to remove the scales. I'm asking to be one with you, that you might have eternal life with me. But when you're blind and your eyes are not anointed with yourself, you can't see. You don't even want Jesus. Um, verse uh, 21 to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me at my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne so it's almost like what Jesus was to the father we've got to be to Jesus it's that clear it's that clear as I have overcome and gone unto my father you have to overcome so you can sit by me and the, the beautiful thing is, he gave us the spirit that we might endure. So unless we see with our eyes the things that are necessary to be with Christ, we'll be blind. We won't see, and more importantly, we won't hear. And it is important that we do this so that we can have him. Um, Revelation 17, and I'm done. Here's the problem right here. Revelation 17 and 1, and it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will shew thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth on many waters. In most cases, when you hear whore mentioned, whore means religion. And this is why a lot of people can't get out of these things. So when it talks about the great whore, it's speaking of the great religion. 
that sits on many waters, meaning it's all over the world, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So when the Bible tells us adulteresses and adulteresses, adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God? He's speaking here of these kings of the earth have committed fornication with this whore. And because they drink of her wine, you know, these guys are drunk. They are made drunk. And this is what happens when you sit in false religion. You become too stagnant. You become drunk. You can't even see what needs to be seen. There are times I've gone into congregations and I've sat there and I'm like listening and I know that this guy is spilling false gospel and things are going on, but then I'm looking around me in the pews at the people and I'm like, am I the only person that's hearing this right now? But if you look at the people, they have like a glaze over their eyes and they are well entertained. So you know that this is because they have drunk of the wine of this harlot. So he says, so he carried me away in the spirit uh, into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast, having names full of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So there's nothing filthier to the Lord than false religion, false belief. When he says he's a jealous God, he is a God that is jealous in righteousness because he wants us to be like him. But we will take the filth of the world and call it good. Just because this thing is arrayed in gold and scarlet and, and purple like it's supposed to be royalty does not make it good. Verse 5, and upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So you see, when you've got this whore's forehead, there is nothing more blind than this, because this thing has the whole world under its sway. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her away, and hath uh, the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which thou sawest uh, was and is not, and, and shall ascend um, out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. That's the Antichrist. And they that um, dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life uh, from the foundation of the world, when they, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So what we got to understand too is when it talks about that, you know, those whose names are not written in the book of life, you know, we can easily tell who these individuals are because Alina and I were talking last night about TV. How people will tell you what's on the news. People will believe whatever is in the news and they won't believe what the word of God says. But you see, the reason we know this stuff is because we think about what the word of God says and what he wants from us. So you see, when you don't have that, you are blind. You are drunk with the wine of this harlot. You start arguing over the right man in office, politics and religion when this thing is so much bigger than that. 
So God wants to get our minds out of here that we won't pursue these things. Let me just finish up real quick. And then it says, um, verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads of seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, and even he is the eighth and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. So this is going to be a kingdom, obviously, from the past. I believe it's Babylon that will be coming back. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, uh, which have received no kingdom as of yet, but received power uh, as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. So you wonder why when you go in the education system, when you go into the religious system, they're trying to bring all religions together. Education is trying to get you away from knowing Jesus. When it talks about these men having one mind, this is what they're looking for today is this global brain. They're conditioning everybody to worship one individual. And unless we get our minds out of here, we are going to be blind and we will receive this beast. So it says, um, verse 13, These have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. That's Jesus. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So you see, we've got to be called, which everybody is, chosen, because we have endured the cross in doing what he says, and we remain faithful because we know that he is the only way. So it's important that we understand this if we're going to walk with the Lord. You know, there's nothing more deadly than spiritual blindness. When the evidence is presented presented before you and you can't see it, man, you're in a sad state of affairs. So you need to call out to the Lord and get to know Jesus Christ for yourself. Get to know him because I guarantee you, because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he will lead you unto truth. You cannot have a true view of this world and everything that is in it unless you know Jesus Christ and you see the world through his eyes and his perspective. That's why the Bible tells us, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's the lesson for tonight. I just want to tell you out there, I love you, but it's time for those who are asleep to awaken that they may know Christ. You got something to know? All right. So Sarah's going to present and then we'll close out from there. Go to Genesis 39 and verse 1. To do a quick background, this is the story of Joseph, who was one of the um, 12 sons of uh, Judah, or Jacob, excuse me, Jacob. And because he was had uh, 
visions and dreams, and he was actually the favored son of Jacob, that his other brothers, um, and he was the youngest at this time, his other brothers hated him for that, and they had much jealousy against him. So in verse or in chapter 39, um, his brothers attempted to kill him, and um, he was actually sold into Egypt. And so I'm pretty sure to him it didn't seem like, you know, God is with him, but because of all this going on, I'm pretty sure to him it seemed like, you know, why is this happening to me? Um, but we're going to see how God works in his life and that this is an example for us that no matter how hard the tribulations that we are going through, we still have to look that Lord has a plan for everything. So Genesis 39 and verse 4. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and served him, and he made him overseer of, over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. So Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and so he trusted him because of that and gave him much rule over his house um, because he saw that the Lord was with him. And it came to pass... From the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So... Not only did the Lord bless Joseph, but he blessed uh, Potiphar for uh, finding favor with Joseph. So it's, it's interesting how when we have the Lord in our lives, that that blessing that he can give us can also spill over onto other people if we mm -hmm. talk to them about the Lord and they believe. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not, or knoweth not, what is with it, what, what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So one another point I'm going to make here that I'm going to keep reading is, is that um, whenever we're finding favor with the Lord and He's blessing us and we're doing great, um, don't think that the devil is not going to try and come in and kind of dis and he's going to try and disrupt that in our lives. And that's exactly what is playing out here mm -hmm. because he was doing well, everything happened. But it's also a test of our faith with the Lord when these things happen. Verse 10, And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph 
went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she called him by his garment and said, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and, and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her, the, of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. So because she didn't get her way with Joseph and he fleed fornication, he said, I'm not having any part with this. What happened next? Well, she had to fabricate a lot mm -hmm. to go against Joseph because the sin that was within her and Satan trying to use her, the, the plan did not, uh, it did not go forth as she wanted it to do. Right. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment unto her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. So it didn't matter at this point all the goodliness that Joseph had done and the favor of the Lord that was upon him suddenly was halted at the, at the voice of his wife and what she was saying. So it was kind of like Potiphar forgot everything that Joseph was doing. When his wife spoke, when those words came upon him, all of a sudden, now he's mad at Joseph. Why? He hadn't done anything before to, to show that he was a bad person, but now because his wife's speaking these words, all of a sudden he's, he's mad at him. And that is why we have to be very careful in uh, listening to what other people say against somebody. Because it's like if we're, if we're living godly and we're doing the Lord's will, we have to understand that this is Satan's kingdom. So that means that Satan's going to use whatever he can to come against the fact that we have Jesus Christ in us. And that's what's happening here. Verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and shewed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prisoner of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph hand uh, to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did there he was the doer of it the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did the Lord made him to prosper so even though Potiphar's wife lied on him to say that he tried to basically she tried to say he raped her and he didn't and he was thrown in the prison. The Lord still found favor with Joseph in prison. And it's easy, you know, at times we can go through frustrating situations in our life, like, you know, car issues, financial issues, relationship issues, or, you know what, getting fired from our job, or even one better, being thrown in prison for what we believe in. 
And that can be a frustrating situation because what happens is, is that we're now taken out of our comfort zone. But it's like, are we still, like Derek Prince said, that the Lord has the right to throw us in prison for three, three, day, three days, three months, or three years, or 30 years, because there's someone in that prison house that may need to come to know the Lord. But it's like, are we willing, Lord, if this is your will, let it be your will be done that people will be saved. But it's easy to say that we believe in the Lord more in Bible study or more in church. But when we're thrown in prison, how much more are we still willing to stand for the Lord? So I just wanted to read something here out of uh, the daily devotional that I was doing. And it's called, um, Navigate Through the Challenges of Life. Have you ever been rejected, treated unjustly, let down by a friend, or found yourself in some other frustrating situation. And the next words here are from Smith Wigglesworth. Great faith is a product of great fight. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. And that is very true, is that the Lord gets the glory, but everything that we're going through in this life, especially situations that are not comfortable, we have to seek the Lord to know his will and that people will be saved through them. So mm-hmm. that's what I have. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, good. All right, so who's going to pray out tonight? Who's praying tonight? I guess I can. Um, come on. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for another study, for another moment, Lord, that we might glorify you and other people may hear your word. And we just thank you, Lord, for these times that we have with our friends, those we might not have seen in a while, those who couldn't make it tonight, Lord, because they had other things going on. I'm asking that you watch over God and keep them. I'm asking, Lord, as we march forward towards this conference, Lord, that it be one that will glorify you. We pray that souls get saved. We pray that those warriors, those soldiers that are in this ministry that are being struck with sickness, that are being hit with personal issues, Lord, in their lives or financial or otherwise, you know, we pray, Lord, that you release your warring angels, that they might be set free. And I'm asking if there's anything, any tape, any blindfold that's over their eyes spiritually, Lord. I pray that you remove them so that they may have a full heart after you. I pray for the brethren that are no longer with this ministry, that have had issues, you know, that they're going through in their lives, Lord. If it be your will that you bring them back, and if not, give them purpose, Lord, that they might be used. Allow us to reach the homeless out there, Lord, and so many that need you, Lord. For you said that true religion is undefiled, unspotted from the world. And, and that we look after the fatherless and the widows, Lord, because those are the people that have your heart. Those are the people that are without, and those are the people that you call us to look after. I pray that we speak the word with more boldness. We get to know you, Lord, in more intimate ways day by day. And I pray that your Holy Ghost, Lord, comes out from here, that people might get saved. I pray that you cover everyone present everyone that is not here, Lord, everyone that hears this message in your full armor, that they may go forward and do your will and that they may glorify you in all manner, thought, and conversation. 
Lord, for you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and you are true, and you are worthy of all thank praises. You, we just thank you, Lord, for being who you are. We thank you, Lord, for not thank giving you. up on us. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to take us with you no matter where you go. And may we go forward with you into further and unknown territory. May you put us in places that our faith might increase. May you take things from us, Lord, that are keeping us from serving you. May you give us those things that may make us more effective in this warfare that we may be faithful to you. Lord, do it, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.